Hi, and welcome to Shaking Sports Journeys. Thank you very much again for joining us. Uh, great guest again for you today. Um, someone who's uh, actually quite uh, close to home now, fellow uh, person in Scotland as well. So we'll get on to talking about that. This gentleman has coached the likes of New Zealand A, um, Vanuatu Women's Ladies, which I got corrected on before we started, um, some time in Northern Districts in New Zealand, um, and latterly uh, worked with the Pakistani women's team um, out there and is now uh, the head coach of the Wildcats Scotland Ladies team. I say hello and welcome to Mark Coles. How are you, sir? Uh, Bonnie Scotland to you and, and assalamu alaikum as well. Walaikum salam, sir. Walaikum salam. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Oh, yeah. well, sir. Good to see you've touched up on your, uh, your Urdu while you were out in Pakistan. Great great to see. I never even got that off Grant Bradburn when he came on the podcast. So you've uh, you've, 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 you've trumped him already. Well done. Um, <laughs> what I want to do is take you through a bit of a, a, bit of a journey today, Mark, um, on your background, on some of the amazing things you've done in the coaching world, especially with women's cricket, um, and uh, just some other bits and pieces in your personal life and stuff that you've... Uh, you've faced along the way. But what I want to start by doing is you played a bit of cricket yourself um, at a good level, but seemed to be cut short by injuries. But tell me a bit about it. Yeah, I guess I followed in dad's footsteps a little bit. I was probably always uh, a little bit in his shadow. He played for Wellington and, and played for New Zealand A and, and was in with the likes of the Cairns and the Hadleys of the world, but um, had a decent first-class career back then because they played so few games. But... I sort of ended up with a back injury and um, about 14 or 15 at first started to happen. And then by the time I got to 25, 26, I was ruined again. Um, so that that kind of ended my career. I, I played a little bit of uh, lower grade cricket as a batter, but didn't really enjoy batting too much. And I wasn't that great at it. So um, you're a bowler, Captain, were you, were you, were you, were you? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I, he, the old man was a bowler and I sort of tried to follow in his footsteps, but um um, so it's sort of just, it still causes me pain today. I've got to wear orthotics and all sorts of stuff, but it, it ended, it ended my career. How good I would have been. I, I don't know. You always think that you're probably a bit better than what you are, but <laughs> um, that was the end of that. And so I, I thought, well, I want to try and give back to the game. Umpiring wasn't my thing because uh, I would have probably given the bowlers too many LBWs. <laughs> so if I had some on the pads, that was never going to work for the batters. Um and so I decided that I'd ring up Irv McSweeney, who was the CEO of Cricket Wellington at that stage, a former black cap himself, uh, and said, look, I've done my level two. I'm interested in doing a level three coaching certificate. Would you have any teams? Um, and by the next day, he said, yeah, I do. I've got the, got the Wellington women's team. <laughs> and I sort of said, uh, yeah, do they do they play cricket? I wasn't really sure of that because I wasn't didn't really follow it too much. And then all of a sudden, I was thrust into the life of women's cricket for a little bit. Well, it's gone from strength to strength to strength, and and you've obviously remained um, in women's cricket. But so, what was that like for you when you you walked into the changing room for the for the first time, or were around the women's squad? Obviously, like you've been honest there, you knew very little about it. Were you pleasantly surprised with what you seen? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I was very good at it to start with, because I, I was sort of trying to coach them like a men's team and, you know, get all aggressive and all of that. And, and it's completely different to, to how we play cricket. That's that's not to say that the game is any different, but the way that they go about it is quite different in their attitude. They want to have a bit more fun um, and, and and not have that really competitive, competitive attitude until, you know, you and I can play a game of marbles and until one of us wins we keep going, but they're a little bit like, well, if it's five all, we'll just call it a draw and come back tomorrow. And that's just the way that females operate. It's nothing wrong with it. That's They'd like just to have some fun and enjoy what they're doing and be challenged and, and learn things. So uh, I, I, that, that wasn't, it was okay for me, but it wasn't great. And then um, one of the players that I got very close to who plays for New Zealand, she ended up dying suddenly of meningitis. So I walked away from it for a little bit. Um, and that sort of affects me to this day. My second daughter's middle name is named after Francis King um, and went into men's cricket for a while as well. So it was sort of very mixed and backwards and forwards. I really only got into it when we went to Western Australia after after coaching Vanuatu as the high performance manager there and got back into women's cricket for a while. And then since then, I've pretty much been involved with it again. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about how I got into female cricket. So Vanuatu... Uh, how was that? How was that? How, I don't know much about Vanuatu um, as a as a country. What was what was it like? Yeah, well, they're they're a little wee country, fifty five thousand people in total, so not many. Um, it's a little South Pacific country, 
about three hours from New Zealand, um, and we ended up living there. Uh, great little place, fantastic people, um, and ended up doing quite well. We ended up, I think, uh, being 42nd in the world um, from 48. So we moved up a few places, and I was in charge of the high-performance program, which covered off men's and women's cricket. We didn't have a women's team at that stage. But we managed to get one, and that was our first national team. So to this day, they've still got a national women's team, and it's growing from strength to strength. And um, a funny little backstory to that was two years ago, we were in Melbourne, and I was walking down George Street, and we went into a shop, and then all of a sudden there was this these couple of voices, and there were two young guys that I'd coached in Vanuatu who had followed me uh, and my wife uh, into the shop, and I hadn't seen them for 10 years um, so it was an amazing meeting just to catch up with them. It was just like seeing them. It was like we'd never, you know, it was like yesterday that I'd saw them. So it was fantastic that you still have those relationships and memories that we all had and um, a great time. So we had a really good chat, a chat in the middle of Country Road. I'm, I'm sure the people in Country Road thought, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> As we reunited with laughter and hilarity about not seeing each other after 10 years. So that, that's the special thing that I think cricket brings people together. Oh, absolutely. Small world. Small yeah, world. yeah. Can I just ask you, Mark, to move back a little bit? Because I don't want to lose your lovely face on the screen when I edit this because you're, yeah, that's it. You're good. You're right on the screen now. Um, very interesting. So that so, so you were learning as you were going along. You were learning in the job very early doors on, uh, on, on what the challenges were of women's cricket, etc. And then you went on to, you went on to bigger roles where you, you coached the New Zealand A ladies team. Yeah, that was that was when I was back with Wellington. So it was sort of I, I helped out with a series there with a guy called Michael Shrimpton. Passed, obviously, he's passed away, but he was a former New Zealand cricketer as well. So that that was a really good experience for me. Um, and he was a fantastic fellow, and just uh, he he was the he's the only coach that's ever won a World Cup for the White Ferns. Um, and looking at them the other night, I think we'll probably still remain that way. Um, but just had a really gentle nature with the girls. And it was a great learning experience to be sort of alongside him and his expertise and his knowledge of, of the female game. And I took a lot from him um, as I was doing my level three coaching certificate in New Zealand. So, uh, yeah, I got a got great lot of respect for Mike. Um, and, you know, it, we always used to sort of chat together and we ended up, um, when I was coaching Northern Districts, he was still coaching at 73 wow. years old. Um, and, and we That's caught up again. For you. Yeah, yeah. So I've still got a couple of years left. Oh, plenty, plenty of life. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned Northern Districts there. It's a place I'm very familiar with. I spent a season in Whangarei. Um, great, great part of the world. Um, great cricket down there. What was your role uh, with ND? I work for Waikato Valley Cricket, which um, is part of part of Northern Districts region. It's quite a big region. It's about 600 kilometres our area was. So um, big area. Uh, and then we were also in, the, in, in, in with the Hawke Cup stuff with uh, Northland, who you will be familiar with. There was Northland, Bar Plenty, Waikato Valley, Hamilton and those teams as well. So... We played against each other. It was a decent level of cricket. It was below first class level, but it was it was a reasonable uh, bit of cricket. So I was sort of high performance manager and development manager for that for that region, which was a great job. Very busy um, because we only had two, two full time staff, uh, and I did a bit of women's cricket there as well. So um, it was a busy job. It was re- it was rewarding, uh, and I think you know the great thing was is we left that team in a better place, and we've got the likes of Tim Sightford playing for New Zealand now, uh, and a couple of other young men have gone on and, and are playing for Northern Districts, and, and one's recently got a, tra- a contract down in Otago. So we had a really good group of young guys come through, and now they're making their way in the first class scene in New Zealand, which is so good to see. I take it that's your guilty pleasure when uh, when it comes to coaching that you love to see what happens beyond the time that you've worked with these players. You want to see success stories and see people going on to make a career of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think it's it, it's no secret that it just gives you that really good buzz. And I actually heard from Timmy Seifert yesterday. He's, he's, he's married now, um, which has come out of the blue, really. I, I didn't pick that. I had him on about it as well. I said, my goodness me, you're the heavyweight champion of the world, my friend. Um, but you know, it, it was good to see that he's he's playing in the CPL at the moment, and then he's he's heading to the T20 World Cup, and 
Um, he was a great kid, Tim, when he was growing up. When, when I was there, he was 15. He was doing exams. So now I look at him and think, wow, you know. Next he'll be a he, dad and next there'll be all these other things. That you're yeah, thinking. but it's so good that you can you can have those chats now on social media and he's on one side of the world I'm on, I'm on, and I'm on the other. Um, but there's a couple of other kids in there as well that have done really well. Jake Gibson's another one. Zach Gibson was another one. And they're all making their way in their different teams. So it, it's it's really good to see that they're playing first-class cricket and, and, you know, forging out a career in cricket, which is, which is as you say, it's, it's a real coaching buzz that you had something to do with them in a, in a small way. You and the family then decided to make a move. You went over to the lovely Sunshine Coast. I've yeah. been to Sunshine Coast. What a beautiful part of the world. Not a bad place to go and settle down. Yeah, we got married over there in 2017. Um, and we always said that we would go back. So in February 2020, we were very, very lucky because COVID hadn't hit in that side of the world that we managed to sneak in just before it did hit in March uh, of 2020. And we've we, we've moved in and we're, they're very settled and, and the lifestyle was, was fantastic. And I took up a a part-time position with um, the Sunshine Coast Cricket Association as director of cricket and also coached the Marucci Door Cricket Club, uh, the men's team, which is uh, another great little club and some great people there too. And, um, you know, I, I do miss that and obviously miss the family as well. But yep. it's a, it is, it's a great it's a great place to live in such great facilities as well. You mentioned the family there. How many kids do you have, Mark? Two. I've got two girls, Amelia and Maddie. Um, Maddie is on the Sunshine Coast and my daughter Amelia still lives in Wellington. Okay. Um, so she's turning 19 in February and doing her own thing. So she's very much, you know, 29 and tells me what to do, as daughters do. So get used to it. I know that you've just had a young daughter. Too, so. She's already telling me what to do. I don't understand what she's saying yet, but when I do, God help yeah. me. Yeah, you'll know. You just do as you're told. Trust me. <laughs> and your boy... He's uh he's in he's in uh in the Sunshine Coast. No, Maddie, two girls. So I've got two girls. So oh, Madison's she turns uh, twelve and she's the same. So she's turning nineteen basically. She also tells me what to do. So um, you know, I I don't operate phones very well, but they seem to be able to work it out for me and all these things that different it's a different language now that I just I don't really understand too well. <laughs> Listen, I'm not from the even me, I'm not from the technology era, so I'm learning like you are. I just about managed to set these Zoom calls up, and that's me. I'm, I, my, my wife helps me with the rest when it comes to the editing and everything else. Must be really difficult for you, though. You spend quite a lot of time apart from the family, and it's not like you can just jump and hop in a plane uh, and pop over and see them. It's not like going from Edinburgh to London or something like that. It's, it's practically, practically impossible. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I find it hard. To be honest, I, I think there's a couple of us at Cricket Scotland at the moment that are um, not Scottish. Um, so Shane Berg is obviously from South Africa, who's the men's coach. Um, and a couple of other people and staff aren't, aren't from Scotland. So we tend to sort of not hang out, but we we, we attract each other's attention a little bit, go for coffees. And, and um, I'm seeing the sights, but it's pretty lonely. I'll be honest with you. It's hard. And I, although you can speak to them, uh, and I speak to them every day. Um, I've got my mother and father in, in Hawke's Bay too. So, you know, I haven't seen my daughter and, and parents in Wellington and New Zealand and Hawke's Bay for nearly two years now. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not easy. That's, 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 that's tough, mate. That is yeah. tough. Do, that, how do you keep that drive? You know, I've spent time away from home, so I can relate to, to what you're saying, um, but I wasn't. I wasn't married with kids at that time, so I, I don't understand how difficult that would be. Uh, my wife went to visit her family in Poland for four or five weeks, and I was over it by the end of the, you know, the first few days was all right, but a peace and quiet from the little one. But then, like you say, it becomes very lonely, nobody around, you know, you're used to being around your family. How do you keep that motivation going? I take it you've got a very supportive wife. Yeah, Mel's great. You know, I mean, she's been there through thick and thin um, and, and, you know, she's brilliant. Uh, and, and so we talk a lot, obviously, when we can. The, the time difference is a little bit hard because she's heading to work and I'm heading to bed. Um, so that's a little bit strange. I'm, I'm, I'm having breakfast and she's having dinner. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'm lucky that we live in a great, great city so I can explore new things and walk and, I enjoy having a coffee and sitting down quietly and making notes and uh, 
those sorts of things do a little bit of reading as well i enjoy reading and, and listening to podcasts like yourself and um still keep in touch with with the likes of grant bradburn and um who live around the corner from me in new zealand um yeah. it's a small world but uh chat, chatted to mickey arthur the other day and flower from pakistan from you know the pakistan days and so just keeping in touch with people and trying to keep busy but uh, you know you do have your lonely moments and it is you think a lot about it and uh, and and sometimes it, you get upset i guess and show your emotions yeah i can understand that can understand it can't, can't be easy listen you're always welcome over in glasgow ever fancy a coffee or a bit of sightseeing in glasgow give me a shout yeah, and, definitely will. And, and we'll get a we'll get a wander around. I'll show you the good part of Scotland. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. I, I, one of the things I want to talk to you about, and and this is something I when I looked into your backstory, Mark, um, I, I could relate to you um, on so many levels in different ways, but in, in very similar ways as well. And that's something that you you have had, and you're, you've it's public knowledge that you've had struggles with your mental health, um, to the point where you know you were getting bad thoughts, being there myself, not a nice place to be. When did this all start? Uh, probably late 2015, 16, early 16, I think. Um, and I was just battling with uh, with some stuff at work and um, a couple of, well, one board member in particular was trying to move me on because, you know, I happened to be doing a bit of coaching and I don't think he realised how bad he was having an effect on me. And then, a lot of things built up. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do and um, things got a little bit dark <laughs> and got darker um, and then I just snapped uh, and it wasn't good. Um, but thankfully, Mel being a nurse knew exactly what to do and, and how to deal with it um, because obviously with her training that she'd done uh, and dealt with it brilliantly well. And then um, I remember... I don't even remember how I got out there. Um, I just remember sitting in this department store by myself thinking, oh, I need to do something here because if I don't, I'm going to lose my daughters in, in, in a marriage. Um, and that that's probably not a good place to be either. Um, uh, so, yeah, I went and seek some counselling out. I was very, very lucky that I had a counsellor that related to me. Um, and he'd he'd had a lot of drinking issues in his time, and, and I, I I think I was I don't know it was just meant to be that he he understood everything I was going through, uh, and it went back to family and father and living in his shadow a lot, and just really frustrated at my own life, and um, and so then it it kind of turned around a little bit, I guess, um, and and so we got married two thousand and seventeen. But I still wasn't that great. Um, but we got there in the end. Um, and then I thought, you know what? I, I was sitting on a couch watching Pakistan play New Zealand and watching these poor girls get hammered. And I knew Mickey Arthur was in Pakistan. Yep. And so I kept in touch with him infrequently because I, I knew Mickey from the Western Australian days. He was the men's coach and I was involved in the female side. So I said, look, Mickey, if there's any opportunity... And he came back and thankfully he said, look, I reckon there is um, because it hasn't gone so well. The World Cup 2017 for Pakistan was terrible. They didn't win a game. Um, and within a couple of days, I had this phone call from this chap at night. <laughs> I thought it was a work colleague. I, I thought it was my mate, Keith Vincent, who worked for Waikato Valley. He'd put someone up to it. Because it, it, it almost didn't sound like a Pakistani accent, if you know what I mean. I thought, oh, okay. And he, and, and he was a lovely chap, you know, uh, Haroon Rashid, who played for Pakistan, actually. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and he said, it's Haroon Rashid here, you know, and um, we're very interested in talking to you and blah, 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 and Mickey Arthur's name. So anyway, I put the phone down and Mel said, who was that? Uh, I said, oh, I think it's KV having me on work. Anyway, I said, apparently there's going to be an email arriving soon. So it won't be, it'll just be KV. And short story is that, an email did arrive. It was Haroon Rashid. And before I knew it, I was on a plane about three or four weeks later um, heading towards Pakistan. So whilst I'd been through this, these issues for about a, a good year, or nearly a good year and a year and a bit, people then all of a sudden close to me said, 
are you completely faulty? What are you? You're going to go to Pakistan and yet, you know, you haven't been in a great place. What are you thinking? Um, and I said, well, I don't know, but, you know, the countdown began. And then before I knew that, I was checking in at Emirates and on a plane and thinking, what have I done? <laughs> I read I read, I read, read a bit about it and I read an article that you'd done and it sounded like it was uh, reading it and the way it was coming across, it was like, I'm doing this, but it's a complete blur and I, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing now. Am I right in saying that you had to pay for your own flight? Yeah, so, so the deal was that they would look at me and I would look at them. And that was the deal. I'd, I'd get them through the New Zealand series and it worked out that obviously coming from New Zealand, I knew a little bit about the, the, the team that we were playing against, which was New Zealand, which was weird in itself. Um, so there was like a trial period and they would pay me a daily rate, but I, I would pay for my flights and they would put me up in accommodation. So it worked a little bit out both ways. Um, yeah, and I remember that because Mel basically checked me in because I said, I, I can't do this anymore. She said, well, you're going to have to because we've paid for the bloody flight. So you're going to have to check in um, because we're not backing out now. So she basically checked me in and said, this is him. Here's his passport, you know, bags, off you go. See you later. And that was it. I remember saying goodbye and just sitting in this plane for 17 hours to Dubai from New Zealand thinking, this is terrible. I can't sleep. I don't know what I'm doing. And then obviously landing in Lahore and being escorted off with armed guards, which, then, then I thought this is quite good fun. Brilliant. There's police cars in front, behind, armed guards. Oh, big celebrity now. Made the big yeah. time. Yeah. And then they dropped me off. The door closed. I was lying on the bed. And then it suddenly dawned on me, why would they have all those police around me if it was? And then I went into another tailspin. Um, and then had to meet these young female cricketers who – weren't sure a they couldn't understand me that was the first thing and b they thought why are you here and and because we're not very good so uh, it was quite an interesting experience trying to sort of um say well we're here to get better and we're going to give this a go this new zealand series and see what happens i want to make a special mention just now to your to your good lady mel um your wife she sounds like she's uh she's been a big big part of, you know, you mentioned she had experience and, and had been trained on, you know, mental health and noticing if something's not right. Sounds like she she got you going in the right direction there. Really good to hear that you got a counsellor that could relate to you. Um, and then she was the one that pushed you over that line to take what at the time would have been a big risk, heading over to massive cultural change. I've got Pakistani roots, so I know what you would have been going to. Um, great people, but totally different to anything you would have experienced. So were you based at the, the National Academy where Grant, where Grant is as well? Yeah, so we are at the National Academy. At that stage, Grant wasn't there. So it was, and, and I, I, although I knew Mickey, I, I wasn't really, really close to him. You know, yeah. I mean, we, we, we were acquaintances, I guess. But, you know, there, there was Mickey and Grant Flower, Grant Luden, and a couple of other guys that were on the coaching staff of the men. Uh, who were really welcoming, um, and, and so I felt I, I, I felt that I, at least I knew some people. But then, you know, within a week or so, they were gone. So I was by myself for a for a week or so before we then went um, over to Dubai and played New Zealand. So it was a little bit of a difficult time. But I remember being called to the chairman's office um, on about day two, Najim Seti, who was the chairman back then, and he said to me. <laughs> Big, massive office, huge office. It was like, this is like my house. It's massive. And people running around. I've never seen so many people running around. I just ordered a water and there was biscuits and water. It was good. And I thought, this is brilliant. Um, and he said to me, Mark, I, I just, we just need to lose by a smaller margin. So if you can just reduce it down by from 100 runs or nine wicket losses down to about 40, I think we've done well. Okay. <laughs> And I said to him, I said, look, Mr. Seti, I, I, I'm a cricket coach. I'm not a magician, but I'll give it my best shot and see what we see what we can do in these, you know, next, I think it was about 20-odd days that we were playing New Zealand. And, and anyway, we managed to, for, for whatever reason, we managed to just lose the first one by about six runs. And we, we just 
we got too excited and lost. And then we, for, for the life. In the right direction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think he was pretty happy with that. Six yeah. runs was like, this is brilliant. Yeah. Um, and then we got beaten in the second one badly. And then it didn't go so well. And then by the third one, we'd won. So for the first time ever, we beat New Zealand ever in, our, in Pakistan's history. Um, and it was like they'd celebrated like it was the World Cup. Uh, so that's, you know, that, that where was the game, Where were the games played, Mark? They were played in Sharjah. Okay. So they were all played in Sharjah. And we, we got beaten in the T20s. I mean, we were expected to because Divine whacked us all out of the park and it wasn't our strength at that particular stage. So... Uh, so we went back and then I remember that too because I was in the hotel and getting ready to go and I got a call from Haroon again saying, hmm, we'll be in touch soon. I, I think we might want you back for the series in January. Okay. So I flew out from Dubai, went home, and then obviously I got a contract from from that January period on from, from what we did with the team. So. And did they uh, get your flights covered this time? Yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of negotiation. You earned, you earned, you earned your right to get that flight paid for. What a story! What a story! What? How did you find Pakistan in general? How did you find the cultural change? Um, how? I mean, speaking to Grant on the podcast, it sounded like he probably missed his family and and and, and things mm-hmm. from home, no doubt about it. But also sounded like he really connected with all the people around him in the academy and and, and had a really loving relationship with them. I loved it. I I, I just really enjoyed the players. Um, I enjoyed the people that the, the policeman that used to guard me still rings me probably every four or five weeks. That's and we, we, we have a little chat. I, I don't really understand what he's saying, but he learned, he's, he's learned a little bit of English, which was fantastic. So I, I had him for about four or five weeks and then they change it, but um, he still rings uh, and says hello. Um, and, and it's just a beautiful country. People don't really understand how beautiful it is. I mean, you, you, you will relate to this, but mm-hmm. it's just magnificent people, um, so loving and caring, um, and, and just, you know, they, they just go out of their way. I, I was over there for Christmas and, uh, and my birthday, and the girls surprised me with presents and um, lunch out and because they knew that Christmas was important to me. Yep. Um, so, and I remember that, you know, I got a phone call to say, oh, can we have a hit? And I thought, oh, really? On Christmas Day? Give me a go. <laughs> I said, oh, well, I'm not doing anything. You know, it's not like I, uh, so I, so I did, but they said, oh, well, no, sorry, we won't do it. Um, but can we pick you up? And I thought, oh, okay, this is interesting. Where are we going? And then they all surprised me. They were all at this um, cafe waiting for me. So with presents and balloons and that's, all sorts of things. That's, that's- that's what it's all about, eh? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's what it's all about because, yeah, you would have probably really, really extra feeling it on Christmas yeah. Day and the fact that you're in predominantly a Muslim country. Um, there wouldn't have been much going on, but great that they, they, they gave you that respect to acknowledge how important a day it was and a surprise party. I'm sure that perked you up a little bit and made you feel, you know, I'm, I'm loved here and I'm cared for and that stuff, stuff like that. It's just, that's what it's all about when people travel to other countries, I think. You need to care for people that, that come there. And it's great to hear because Grant is very similar to the way you've spoke about your experience in Pakistan. And I think now more and more, obviously, cricket is coming back more and more to Pakistan. And it's it's all positive that's coming out of it because it is an amazing country. Sad what happened many years ago with the Sri Lankan cricket team, but amazing to see that things are moving forward and evolving because as you probably noticed, it is cricket crazy over there. Yeah, it is. It is cricket crazy over there. And I know that the media are really tough on our girls. Um, and so, you know, it's, it was very sad sometimes to to just see the criticism that they received because they don't think they realised how hard these young ladies worked. Um, and they were true ambassadors of the country. And um, we got a little bit better, which was great, um, but they were still pretty harsh on them when they lost. And um, That's just Pakistani cricket for you, Mark. Yeah. You never yeah, it's very hard to... Even when you're winning, one defeat yeah. for the men's team and the world's ending, it's, yeah. just, uh, it's a sad state of affairs that it is, especially with the media um, yeah. and the fact that they would have been probably quite close-minded towards the women's cricket team. Uh, there's, there's no point beating around the bush. They would have been. Um, but where did you get to in your stint? You had two years there um, from from taking the role and then getting thumped by 100 runs and, and losing by nine wickets. Where did things get to? 
Well, the New Zealand series was really the start of the momentum that we created. Then we went to Sri Lanka and beat them 3-0 uh, and 2-1 in the, in the T20s, which was probably expected because I always thought that we were a little bit better than them. Uh, went to the Asia Cup, had a disappointing Asia Cup there. We finished third. And then so we reassessed where we were and what we needed to do because we, I just thought our T20 game wasn't where it needed to be. Um, uh, then we, we had a series win over the West Indies. Um, that was in the ODIs and just missed out on the T20s 3-2, um, which I thought was a pretty decent result. Mm-hmm. Uh, then went to South Africa um, and drew the ODI series with them one all. Wow. Uh, and then just missed out again, unfortunately, 3-2 in the T20s. But again, I thought it was a pretty decent result. And in between that, we went to Bangladesh and beat them 3-0. Uh, we qualified again for the T20 World Cup. Um, we got beaten by Australia, but uh, 5-0, which is expected. But I actually thought that we played some decent cricket then. And the Aussie girls were like, where are the rest of your staff? Like, you've only got six staff here. We, we've got 12. So what what happens here? I said, well, this is it. We all double up. Said, yeah. Do you? Huh. That's amazing. We don't. We've got we've got start. We've got security here as well. I said we're in KL. I said, you don't need security in KL. There's enough security around. No, they had everything. Um, but that was that was a great learning for us, I think. Um, and again, just turned that team around and had some belief. So, in the end, in the ICC Women's Championship, we finished ahead of New Zealand in fifth place, and we just missed out. Just missed out to South Africa qualifying for the World Cup so by a point. Um, and then I moved on in 2019 because I thought, well, I'd done two and a bit years then. Um, and I wasn't, I'll be brutally honest, I, I didn't like the direction it was going. Uh, I thought the new lady that had taken over wasn't really my cup of tea. Sana was being pushed out and I thought she needed another year in that team um, before they wanted to move her on. So I thought it was premature by a year. Uh, and in the end, she got pushed out as well. So, and I kind of knew that was happening, unfortunately. Um, so I just thought, no, I'm getting out uh, and left. And um, but uh, you know, even this week, hearing from the Pakistan girls, you know, I had a phone call from Sana, um, five or six text messages from some of the players that um, have have always kept in touch. Uh, and Bismar had a little baby girl who was the captain of Bismar Maroof who's the captain. So such cool things to hear about um, and still be able to keep in touch with them, uh, which I think is, is another great thing about coaching. You know, you, you, you keep in touch with these players and they turned my world around. You know, I was in a bad space. You had to be happy with them because of some of the, some of the backgrounds that they came from. You kind of, you couldn't come with your your sad face and I'm feeling sad about myself face because I'm missing home. Yeah what some of the stories that they had paled into significance. So all of a sudden you learn to be happy because your life's not too bad compared with some of the struggles that they're, they're having to go through. Love it. Love that. I was looking forward to hearing about the whole Pakistani experience and sounds like it was the best decision you made um, and you evolved and, you know, you, you got to, start working through some of the challenges that you were having and had a great influence on all the girls. And sounds like from when you got there to when you left, Mark, you left things in a, in a far, far better place. And you certainly cut down that gap. I mean, all those series you were just talking about there, you won some. And even when you came up against the, the big teams in South Africa, et cetera, they were close series. So you clearly were moving things in the right direction. Yeah. But as all good things come to, come to an end and, and new challenges are, are on the horizon, how did the uh, the old Cricket Scotland role come about? Did a certain Mr Grant Bradburn have any influence on that? Or, you, you know, how, how did how did that all come about? Well, strangely, you should say that Lee Kasparik, who plays for New Zealand, but also played for Scotland. Okay. Um, I first met her in Western Australia and we, we were talking about, and she was playing for Scotland at that stage. And she said, look, you know, I said, wouldn't it be cool? We ended up coaching together. I sort of, mentored her a little bit in her coaching. She was starting out her career in coaching and playing for WA. And we were away with an under-17 team. And she showed me this footage of Scotland. I said, one day, wouldn't it be cool to be able to coach Scotland? She said, are you kidding? I said, no, 
maybe, I don't know. She said, no, you won't want to go to Scotland. They're not very good. And she was playing for them back at that stage. And she was saying, you know, they pay their own way. They backpack basically everywhere and play. And then lo and behold, this job came up. And as I do, you know, I just thought I just need one more challenge before I hang up my coaching boots really and start to settle down and maybe just do the odd bit of coaching. So I'm going to give this a go because it's something that always sort of nibbled away at me way back in 2010 when I was speaking to Lee. So I thought, no, I'm going to apply. I'm going to give this a go. And I knew that there was uh, another bloke that had applied for the job who was a pretty decent coach, Mark Robinson, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had I had heard that he may have applied. So And I, I met Mark when we were away at the 2018 World Cup. So I sort of, again, touched base with him and he, he ended up getting the job at Warwickshire. Uh, and and they offered me, Gus offered me the job and the role. And we had a bit of confusion with COVID, um, but eventually I got here. And um, in March 31st, so the 1st of April, I basically took over, um, spent my days in isolation. And then my first weekend, I coached in snow. <laughs> and I thought, well, I was coaching in 40 degree heat, um, but snow was a new, new, Completely new, never done it before. And I remember saying, and you know what it's like, you, you have this new coach and all the players are thinking, well, you know, I've got to, got to impress him. And I said, you know, I said, ladies, uh, happy for you girls. It's, it's snowing. I'm happy for you girls to, to call it quits. Thinking brilliant. The coach has just said, we'll call it quits. We'll finish. No, let's carry on. Oh, my Lord. I've nearly got frostbite here. Call it off. I don't mind. You're all in the team. (laughs) So we carried on for another half hour um, in the snow. Uh, But, you know, it was great. And, um, yeah, then since then we've sort of been – we played that series in May against Ireland, and that was an eye-opener for me. Uh, Massive. Uh, I know that we beat Ireland the first game, and then we missed out in the next three quite poorly. Uh, so I, I definitely knew that we needed to change the way that we played um, and quickly because I, I didn't really think we were going to make a lot of progress if we kept playing like that. What what were the what were the main issues you, you identified in the in the playing that you you thought this needs to be rejigged? Well, like all good females, they think too much. Yeah, you know. <laughs> your wife, my wife, every female really, and that's that's no disrespect. Yep. They're great thinkers because they're very organised. Yep. And I just felt that they were more concerned about getting out than they were about hitting the ball. So um, I, I took a little bit of time and understood the regional series and I, I basically said, no, let's not do that. Let's just get the best 24 or 26 players that we've got in Scotland mm-hmm. and even them out evenly into teams and play a super series. Good pitches, good umpires, you know, the proper... ICC standard that we would face knowing that the global qualifiers were coming up um, in August and it worked and we we went about and, and you know I was doing a lot of one-on-ones with them and I said we can't I want you to start hitting the ball we've got to start hitting the ball and we've got to start if you get 10 off four balls brilliant don't worry about your average just that is fantastic and they were brilliant the series ended up 5-5 between the two teams uh, and then I just thought we may have just turned a corner, but the August qualifier, which was obviously last week, was going to be a big test for us because we had Catherine and Sarah play, and Abtahar playing in the 100, um, and, and so they hadn't seen a lot of the Super Series, but I was confident that they would fit in with us rather than us fitting in with them. So we went to Stirling just before we left, um, and had a three-day camp there, and we did some different things. Um, we were sliding on tarpaulin, getting them to slide in the field with dishwashing liquid. We were catching eggs to try and get our soft hands and our base, um, and we did some some team-building things where, uh, you know, they had to rescue someone that had blood spurting out of their arm, and they had to work together and try and sort things out, and then we played some boys' teams before we left. And that was the big test for me. I thought we'll either go into our shells or we'll keep playing like we did in the Super Series. And we managed, it was an under-15 Eastern Knights team and Warriors team. We managed to beat them both. So we beat them twice, uh, one on the Friday night and one on the Sunday night, uh, Sunday. And uh, 
scoring 137. And I thought, right, we're in a little uh, confidently within myself without letting them know that I think we're in the right space to take on the Dutch, who we who we had first up last week. You mentioned the three girls there, um, Abtaha and the Bryce sisters. I mean, what an exciting time for the three of them. Mm. Two of them made the final. Um, one of them won. Sarah, Sarah's team won the whole competition. Millions and millions of people watched them play cricket on TV. Their reputations have, have, have gone through the roof. But for Scottish women's cricket, now from where I, when I started playing junior cricket in Scotland, there was one girl that I knew. I've actually done a podcast with her. She's called Barry Maxwell. She was the only girl that I knew that played cricket. She was pretty good, actually. But there was no, there was no route for her really to go. She struggled for opportunities. There was none there. For all these other girls in the Scotland squad now, they must be looking at those three and thinking, I want to get some of that action as well now. And for the next generation who have watched them on TV, we did a summer camp at our local cricket club, Kelvin Cricket Club. We had 50% girls, 50% boys. And quite a lot of the girls, it was just from the parents said, oh, they've seen uh, the cricket on the TV and they, they wanted to give it a go. So that clearly it works. Is that something that you're encouraging through all the squad that, you know, this is the benchmark? This is where we. This is where you could all get to if you if you want it bad enough. Yeah, and, and it's interesting you should say that because I think we've got a couple of really good little players in there. The young ones like Elsa Lister and Catherine Fraser, a couple of very young, impressive players. But and strangely enough, I had an email the other day, Tuesday, uh, when we got back Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, um, from Nathan Horrocks, who who deals with former Australian player who's working with. A Queensland Firewoman and the Brisbane Heat Woman saying, you got any spinners? We're looking for them. So straight away, Catherine Fraser, Abtahar, Mark Sood. So I, I've forwarded their names to him. Now, whether something comes of that, but um, just through those contacts alone, doors could open for our girls. Um, and, and that's fantastic. You know, the, Abtahar obviously did pretty well. Um, the Bryce sisters didn't really get a bat, but, you know, that's the way things go. But we're on the map. And I think there is a very clear pathway. What we need to do in Scotland is make sure that we are really getting from, from under 15s all the way through, that there is a clear alignment of what we need to do and how we want to play. So how we play at the Wildcats should be filtered down. So when players come through from club cricket, they understand that strike rates are really important and we want to be really positive. Um, and so I think there's, there's a little bit of work to do around there. I think there's a little bit of work to do around the basics I mean, that, that's from the top down too, but um, I think it's heading in the right direction and, and probably last week is a little bit of a reflection of what can be done if we just start believing in ourselves and have a little bit of fun playing the game rather than worried about whether we fail or not. Because as you know, as you well know, you're going to fail more times than you succeed in this game. Yeah. Well, it's going to come to that Lamanga. You go out there, bearing in mind that, as you mentioned earlier, you had not a great successful series in Ireland where it started really well, but we, we filtered off and lost the next three. Um, and we had the Dutch, followed by the Irish. So the two big games that you're going to face first up, girls seem to just boss both games pretty pretty convincingly. I was sitting at home, so I, I didn't, didn't get to see it all, but you were there. It looked like that from following the scorecards and stuff, that it was just quite one-sided. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think the Dutch game was potentially a, a big banana skin for us because they're they're an unknown quantity and and strangely enough, uh, I, I know the coach of the Dutch team quite well from from my days in Wellington, so I knew that he would have them going pretty well. Um, and, and yeah, we did face the two hardest teams first up, so that was that was pretty tough. But the the, the Irish game was the interesting one, and, and so we. We beat we beat the Dutch pretty convincingly, and then we had a little chat uh, at night and said, "There's no pressure on us. We're not expected to win this, but there's a hell of a lot of pressure on them." And I'd read a little bit about Ed Joyce before the, the series started, where he said publicly that there's a lot of pressure on the Irish to obviously win this. We need to win. We're the top nation going. Um, we're expected to win. It's going to be an intense tournament. And I thought they're going to be there's going to be a little bit of tension around there. So we just made it really relaxed. Really relax, just play your game. Don't worry about it too much. Let's just go out, have fun, do the basics. And it was that day that we played Loch Lomond, which I'd heard of the song before, um, the great Scottish song, and we were in a tent. 
And I looked around and the girls were clapping to this Loch Lomond. And I looked over at the Irish tent and they, they, they didn't know what was happening. They could not work out what was going on. We had girls doing the Scottish Highland Fling. And I, I, I'm thinking, this is brilliant. We're, we're up here. We're, we're going okay. The Irish then made a very poor attempt to sing uh, one of Abba's songs to try and, because they didn't know what to do. So uh, Dancing Queen, I've never, well, with all due respect to the Irish, who are normally pretty good singers, these girls may, uh, would have been a no from me if it was, you know, um, Britain's Got Talent, it's definitely a no from me. Uh, and our girls were dancing and I could see the Irish girls just thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. this isn't meant to be happening. So I remember just saying to the girls before they went out and I handed it over to Catherine, I said, girls, all I want you to do is go out there and just be the best that you can be and have some fun with it. Don't worry, if you drop a catch, I don't care. But I do care that if you show emotion and you get really sad and start kicking the turf and hitting your thigh and smacking your head, and do, I, that, that's when I do care and I'll get a message out that it's to stop. But if you drop a catch, because we're all going to, just keep going. And we did, you know, and we, but then we sort of, we got scared again. Um, and I think we were 24 for one chasing 90 in the 10th over. And Catherine was in and I, I said to her, Catherine, you've got to play. You've got to play. You've got to trust who's coming in and play. Just play. Because otherwise we're going to end up 60 after 20 overs. And that's not how we want to play cricket anymore. And the pitches were a bit difficult. And she played a most magnificent innings, you know. It really was a very special innings. But the girl that did change it as well was young Becky Glenn, who came in blasted 22 off 19 and wow. played how I know that she can play um, and changed that whole game and we ended up winning. Well, you know, our girls, I think, were like, have we just won? <laughs> so, well, we've beaten them. Now we've got a real chance with Germany and France to come, who aren't great cricketing nations. But again, we just had to calm them down. We had a rest day, which I think was a blessing for us. So we got together after the Irish win at night. And I just said, you know, don't start drinking your own cordial juice. And, and as of midnight, it's fish and chip paper. It's history. It's done. It's finished. We need to concentrate on Germany, pull ourselves back together again and get over the line with them. And, and we played pretty well. And then we had France to go, which I, we were tired by then. And we, you know, Catherine and Sarah went out. Yeah, it happens sometimes with weaker opposition, but... Um, and that, that was it. The rest is history. But it's, it's small steps. You know, we're not world beaters yet by any stretch of the imagination. We've got a long, long way to go. But I think the way that we played and the attitude that we showed and the fun that we created uh, is a starting point for these, these players. So just a bit about your role when you're back in Edinburgh. You know, you've, you've, you've had this great successful tournament. Congratulations to you and your squad. It was great viewing for everybody back home and wonderful to see because I think we, the Irish tend to have, be, have been tipping us for a while now. So it was, it was great, to, great to get over that line. How does your day-to-day role go? I mean, I'd imagine you don't have a, they're not all professional cricketers. You can't have them all the time. How do you go about your, your business here? Well, I, I do a lot of one-on-ones and do a lot of travelling. So we've got Becky Glenn up in Gordonston um, and Elsa Lister in Huntley. Uh, we've got some girls in Glasgow uh, and obviously some girls in, in Edinburgh. So it's a lot of early mornings. So a lot of them have a hit before they start work uh, or it's after work and when I can fit them in. Um, yeah. And so it's a, lot of, it's a lot of stuff outside of normal work hours. But the rest of the time, uh, what, what we're trying to do and what I've been recently doing, we've got to do the arduous task of uh, player reports which thank this time is going to be pretty good because they're all pretty positive. Yep. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's now thinking about how can we plan for the next group of players to come through. And I think that's really important. Uh, and what that looks like, camps, because we don't want to lose this momentum that we've created. Um, but I think there's, for the next group of players coming through, which are 15 and 16 and 14-year-olds, um, we need to make sure that they've got the basic skills uh, and that they, they are positive about their cricket without worrying about getting out, but being really positive about it and, and being aligned, as I said earlier, with what's happening and how we want to play at the, at the next level up. So you're basically involved throughout. You're not just a national team coach. 
you're involved all the way down to grassroots, you're getting around different parts of Scotland, you know, seeing little nippers taking up the game here and there and having involvement with them as well. That's, that's, it's wonderful to hear. Um, so you are kept busy then, Mark. It's not a, um, it's not, it's not, it's not an easy gig. No, and I, I do. I then I, I jump into the boys, to the men's team as well, and help Shane out, just hitting a few balls and going down and throwing a few balls as well. So that's that's been really good too. It's, it's freshened me up as well. So I, I sort of, you know, they practice pretty much Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So we got back Tuesday. I was down with them on Wednesday, just throwing a few balls. I wasn't much used to them on Wednesday, but it's it's just great to be in and around them and seeing their build up to to what's going to be a very important T Twenty World Cup for us as well. So. That, that freshens you up, which is nice to be, um, you know, chatting to those guys. And the support that we had from them was just fantastic. You know, from everybody back home, it was brilliant to see. We always made a list of all the people. So all the girls, the players that the girls knew, obviously family and friends. And then, you know, Son Amir and Kyle Kortzer and George Munsey and uh, Crossy and all these blokes that had sent tweets or or were watching from afar. So, so to put it up on the board, and as you can see it, all of a sudden it goes, oh, so people are taking an interest in us. You know, yeah, that's, really, that's a really supportive thing. Um, and, and to see the guys tweet and be be really happy for us, I, I, I think was a big thing. And Kyle was great because he sent a message to them um, after the Irish game, uh, which just grounded them a little bit as well. But nice to know that that others are taking an interest in Cricket Scotland. No, I think we're in a, a far more healthier place than we were five, ten years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Great that a lot of women paved the way for these for these this generation to come through. And I think what you've touched on there is so crucial that the next generation is already getting you know prepared to come through as well. Um, I think you've got some fantastic role models in your squad, um, and I hope we get to see some more girls on the on the big on the big scene. What's the future goals then for? For you, what are you wanting to achieve, you and your squad? We've got the Commonwealth Games coming up in January. So there's one place left, which will be tough because, you know, you've got uh, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, the West Indies are going to be involved in that. But and we're not quite sure where the series is, but we've got to give it a go. Um, so, again, it's, we're going to have to be positive against those teams, but they're not unbeatable. There's no way that they're unbeatable as long as we start keep believing in ourselves. So... Uh, that's in January, and then obviously we've now qualified for the global qualifiers for at the moment. I think it's set out for May, June of next year. Um, so that'll be an exciting event for them to to really focus towards. And um, again, you know, there, there'll be the US, I would suggest, and uh, there'll be a, a team from East Asia Pacific, um, and Ireland will be there too. So again, it's two teams go through from that. So it's not, and then that'll be the big dance. So. I, you know, we've just got to b- believe in ourselves that, that that can be achieved. Well, I think you're going in the right direction, sir. Um, and it's <laughs> it's been a it's been a real pleasure to to talk to you today. You know, you've got I think your your story is amazing. Um, I think you're uh, um, you should be very proud of yourself how you've uh, you've bounced back. Um, I'd imagine day to day, I can understand you're missing your family, but they support you, uh, and you're on a you're on a mission. And I hope you can. Uh, uh, Firmly believe that in these next two tournaments you will uh, you will do even better than you did in La Manga. So so wishing you all the very best. Look forward to hopefully meeting you in uh, in person one day. But thanks very much for uh, for coming on and having a chat to me today. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks for your support as well. It's it's, it's much appreciated, and and to everybody that supported us, it's we're, we're very grateful and very humbled by it. Appreciate it. Thanks again, Mark. Shukriya. Shukriya to you too, sir.